And welcome to One and Done TV. I am one of your co-hosts, Ian Hamilton. And I am your other co-host, From Beyond the Grave. But my name's John Polking. And this is the podcast where we review television shows that only lasted one season. We also research them, okay? And we're like, why did it get canceled? And then at the end of it, we decide whether we would cancel it or whether we would renew it. Isn't that right, John? Yeah, if you want to get all literal about it, but we're really just doing uh, the monster mash on the graves of these shows and analyzing what they did, what they left behind, ultimately what made them one and done. Today, we've got a very special Halloween episode uh, talking about the horror series Resident Evil. Uh, But before we get to that, since it's the spooky season... I figured let's uh, let's talk about some scary stuff. Ian, what's something scary that you watched recently? Um, it's not something that I watched recently, but our friend group down here has a tradition that I love, which is watching Over the Garden Wall every November first, mm. which is a R.I.P. Cartoon Network, by the way show that was created by some of the Adventure Time people and stars the voice talents of Elijah Wood. It's a 10-part miniseries cartoon that is kind of um, an old-school grim fairy tale, and it's just a really fun, wholesome, scary in like a childish way, but like is genuinely creepy as well as being funny and sweet and i highly recommend it uh what's something scary that you've watched i wanted to talk about uh halloween ends but then i saw halloween ends and it was garbage so i'm going to talk about barbarian instead barbarian is one of my favorite movies of the year i enjoyed it thoroughly It's not like a jump out and scare you kind of horror movie, but it's like an endlessly creepy thing, which is very much my jam. I don't, I think, I don't know. What what are your opinions on jump scares? Um, I'm fine with them. I mean, I think I can usually see them coming or, you know, they set it up like, oh, you're going to get a jump scare and then you don't. So, I mean, they jolt me, but they're fine. Whereas I have a friend who absolutely needs to turn her head away. And uh, Natalie's like that a little bit too. I find them to be cheap for the most part, but I think there can be really good versions of them. Yeah, when done well, I appreciate them. Oh, wait, I did. I watched The Witch recently. Did I tell you about that? No, the Anya Taylor-Joy vehicle. I had never seen it before, and I was expecting something scarier but it was overall very creepy. Mm-hmm. Uh, really, it's horrifying in its reality as opposed to relying on too much, you know, creepy crawlers, jump scares, whatever. It's just a overall scary movie, you know? You know what? Fun fact. I have not talked to a goat since I saw The Witch. It turned me off of goats. I don't recommend it. If you want to maintain your relationship with your goats or just in general. 
both. I'm off of goats. You're right. I don't even eat them anymore. Oh, man. Or suck out that sweet marrow from their horns. Yeah. It, really? Because that was like a big part of your identity was uh, that sweet, sweet goat marrow. Well, I'm watching my weight. <laughs> but Barbarian's an absolute blast, and it's going to be available. It should be available on HBO Max by the time this episode airs. Uh, yeah. I'm not going to say anything more about it because it's one of those rare things where it's like, yeah, just go for the ride. Have a blast. Right. You don't even want to give a synopsis. It's like, look, just turn it on and don't know anything beforehand. Yeah. Two people show up at an Airbnb that the, that's been double booked and then things get wild. So go with that. That's how I am about the movie, The One I Love. Yeah, exactly. Like you don't need anything more than a, a married couple It goes to try to fix their relationship and then- it gets go. It gets going, and you. It gets goatin. <laughs> Speaking of goatin, I think it's showtime. Five, four, three, two, one, showtime. Resident Evil tells the story of the outbreak of the zombie-making T virus over the course of two periods of time. One timeline follows the Wesker family in the lead up to the outbreak. The other, over a decade later as the family traverses the Mad Maxi hellscape that has ensued. Neither story could properly infect fans or newcomers to the franchise as the Netflix show was canceled after one season. This is another recent uh, one and done that we are doing, another 2022 entry. Ian, did you have any relationship to the Resident Evil franchise? Played any of the games, anything like that? Uh, definitely the games in the arcade. And then I don't know if I ever played a console version of it. And then I remember watching one of the movies came out when we were in middle school and I watched it in Mike Shields basement. (laughs) And I remember that. Uh, but mostly I think Mila, Mila, Mila Jovovich will never surpass her performance in the fifth element because... It's perfect. So, so you're right. Her career's over, right? That's her what career's you're saying. over. Yeah, yeah. So is Bruce Willis's, by the way. Yeah, there's no point in having either of them be on screen. You're right. Well, I was making a dark joke about Bruce I Willis's. I know. <laughs> okay, okay. I know. Sorry. <laughs> I was just trying to gloss over it, but if you want to dig your grave a little deeper, it is the Halloween episode, so it uh, it works out pretty nicely. Well, we just appeared on our friend's podcast, Mr. Bunker's Conspiracy Time podcast, uh, which I suggest everybody check out. But uh, we try to keep it clean and relatively uncontroversial on this show, and that is not their vibe at all. So I think that joke is just uh, them rubbing off on me a little bit. So you didn't play any of the games. You you don't remember which movie you saw? No, um, but I did watch Silent Hill last year, and that was kind of fun. It was a bad movie, but like it was fun. Sure, yeah. It yeah the the Resident Evil movie. So for those that don't know, Resident Evil is a Capcom franchise horror franchise that started in 1996, I believe, with like you know the PlayStation, the first PlayStation around that area, and then has sold over 100 million copies across its franchise worldwide in the ensuing years. I think the last entry in the series came out in 2021, Resident Evil Village. And then 
The success of that led to a very successful movie series as well that started in 2002, ended in 2016, made $1.2 billion worldwide over the six movies that spawned that. It was an, It's an interesting like success story, though, because none of the Resident Evil movies made back their money domestically. Really? Like, I, I guess, like, they broke even if you just look at the domestic, but they're huge hits worldwide. Like, the last yeah. two Resident Evil movies, I think, grow something like $50 million against a $50 million budget domestically, but they made, like, $300 million worldwide. So this is an international success story, and they just— How much kept, did they cost? Like, $50 million a piece? 100? Like, 30 to $50 million, depending on the movie. So, I'm kind of surprised that's all. Yeah, it was a big deal, though, and the production company that made the Resident Evil movies is actually behind the Resident Evil series. The series premiered in July of 2022, and it still takes place, presumably, in the world of the video game. It's apparently the creator said everything that happens in the video game is canon, to the franchise, but it does tell an entirely new story, which I think is interesting, especially too with uh, timelines too, because the events of the original game that took place in 1996, still within the world of this sort of reimagining of Resident Evil work in the 20, even though the show show starts in 2022. And we can get into that in a little bit. Right, we're in New Raccoon City, and there was an old Raccoon City, so I assume that's the difference. That would be fun though if they called it New Ra- or Old Raccoon City. Like <laughs> they just they just assumed there was going to be a new one. Yeah, we we knew this was just uh, this was a beta test <laughs> to get us into the world of the show. Let's talk about some highlights. Highlight. Highlight. I think before we talk about anything on the show, we need to talk about the Wesker family, which is the family that is essentially the core of both of the stories. I guess it's important to say, to reiterate, the series is basically split into two. We've got 2022 and 2036. So maybe we refer to them as those versions, 2022 and 2036, for clarity. Yeah, I think it's even important to say that it tells you at the very beginning, it's three months before a horrible disaster. Called The End. Right. Yeah. It's intimidating. The end of the old world. The beginning of a new zombie one. Isn't that one we're always striving towards, though? Although, are they zombies? Because they call them zeros in the show. That's true. They never do say the word zombie, but they're they're zombies. You could argue they're not dead, too. That's my Uh, only thing. You can argue every zombie is undead or infected or whatever. They're still freaking zombies, okay? I don't like when shows and movies like to get cutesy with the zombie terminology Like, we all know what this is. We signed up for a zombie show. Just because you call them infected doesn't mean that you can't uh, bow down at uh, at the altar of George Romero. Well, okay. Here's my argument against that a little bit, is that this show dives more into genetic modification. Oh, God. So it's not like a curse. It's not people coming out of the ground. It's people messing around with our DNA 
and viruses. Because you know what we need in a zombie story? Logic. Well, there's giant animals in this one. It's not just zombies. It's everybody. It's everything. Okay, then let's talk about uh, the T-virus. So the T-virus is the thing that mutates everyone, turns them into zeros. Fine, Ian. We can use the terminology of the show. Turns them into zeros. Uh, One of the main characters essentially describes the T-virus, says that the T-virus doesn't kill people. It rewires their brain when it goes. It only makes them stronger. Yeah, and when it goes across species, it makes them essentially bigger and grosser. So the the zombies, the zeros that we get are still essentially humans. They just go, and they say, I'm a zombie. They don't actually say that, but... A little on the nose, I thought, with that dialogue. <laughs> <laughs> it's not the first issue I have with the dialogue, but we'll get to that later. The zombies are still... They're like 28 Days Later zombies, Combined with a little bit of World War Z. Yeah, they're fast zombies. They work in packs. They smell blood. Uh, They also, the T-virus does make some some real gnarly uh, creatures. Ian, did you have a favorite uh, creature that was mutated by the T-virus? Oh, yeah. I mean, in the first episode, there's like a giant caterpillar or something like that that throws her up against a car really hard. And uh, somehow she doesn't die from it. But that was... That was the introduction into giant bugs and animals, and I think that was my favorite. Yeah, it was a good it was a good way to kick off the series because you're like, how did this centipede get so big? And then they immediately exactly. flash flash uh, backwards. So I did like the centipede. Uh, the spider design was really cool as well. There was a big spider with a lot of eggs. Yes, and. Uh, there were also these things called, uh, I believe they were just called like brain zeros or something like that, where basically they were skinless sort of monsters that you could just see their brains and they had very long tongues that could uh, grab people by the ankles and like rip them across uh, buildings or, you know, I think it was a sewer tunnel that they appeared in. But yeah. I mean, I'm sure they came out of Resident Evil, but we they used did. to play the game Left for Dead and it reminds me of one of those zombies. Yeah, the there were a few creatures in the Resident Evil series that are pulled directly from the games, including um, another runner for my favorite, which is the gigantic crocodile. Oh yeah, love the love zombie croc. Big old genetically modified croc. Oh my god! I think I so, don't think it ever died. I think it was just genetically modified. That's my point. <laughs> so the people that are creating slash stopping the slash studying the T-virus. You know what? Mutated because they make a very big point to say in the show that viruses take over your cells and change them so that they can survive within it. Ian, can you get out of your logic corner for the rest of this podcast? I am in med school. No, you are not. That. Oh, right. Okay, so you've already exited the logic corner because you're saying random, crazy things like that. <laughs> Great. So I feel like I derailed you from the Wesker family. And we <sighs> should get back to that. Let's get back to the Wesker family because they are the emotional and narrative sort of drivers of the show. Uh, the patriarch of the Wesker family is Albert Wesker, uh, played by Lance Reddick, who you might know from The Wire. The Wire! Yeah. Lance Reddick's awesome, man. Oh, he's good in everything. I 
whenever he pops up, I'm like, oh my God, it's that guy from The Wire. And he's got just like a great presence. It's very grounded, very... um, He can just stare at you and say everything he needs to say. And he he always plays his characters that kind of think before they speak, you know? Yeah. And then say the perfect, not alpha thing, but the perfect... He makes statements. Yes. Yeah. He, there is, everything isn't with an exclamation point. It's with a very firm period. Awesome. You're like, yes, sir. I will listen to you. Which works really well for this version of Albert Wesker. Um, Albert Wesker, I believe, is the only character, like, person that is a character in the games as well. He is a scientist that works for the Umbrella Corporation, which is sort of the the corporation itself is like the big bad of the show. They are the mustache twirling, you know, everything is a line item on a balance sheet sort of even human lives sort of thing. Right. Uh, Giant pharmaceutical company that uh, will do anything to make a trillion dollars and also try to convince themselves that it's for the greater good. The greater good. The greater good. That was more Beatles than anything, though. The greater good, Paul. <laughs> oh, yeah, you know, we're just plunking around with the greater good. <laughs> so Albert is working towards the greater good by developing this drug called Joy, which, from how they describe it, they say, oh, it'll cure depression, it'll solve all the world's mental problems, but really it sounds like Molly. Right? Yeah, I mean, because Evelyn, the big bad at the big corp, is secretly drugging her wife with yeah. it just to make her happy and not feel anything. Yeah, like a at zombie the same would. time. Mm-hmm. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. But Albert is the one that's developing the drug. He's basically, um, yeah, he's under the Umbrella Corporation's umbrella, if the umbrella was also a straitjacket. And he has just at the beginning of the series moved to New Raccoon City, which is this sort of like private enclave in South Africa. And he's moved there with his two daughters, uh, who are the other big characters. We've got Jade. Ian, how would you describe Jade? Um, Sarcastic. She's very rebellious. Uh, She doesn't love being in Raccoon City when she's younger. And then when she's older, she's just... A survivalist. Um, mm-hmm. There's a theme throughout the show that Weskers are all about self-preservation. Right. And her husband calls her Kamikaze Jade because she acts first and thinks later. Like she's always going, she's always jumping to the worst possible thing that could happen when a situation arises. So she goes all out to just. Kill all the zeros, you know, destroy everything. There's just a, a dis- wake of destruction in her path. Yeah. And it's all because she always wants to do the right thing, but sometimes it's the wrong way to do it. Yeah. And we should clarify, too, that in 2022, Jade is about 14. And so when Ian referred to her husband, that was 2036 Jade. Thank you. Who also has a daughter. I, I wanted to make that clear. Uh, we also have 2022 Billy, who is Jade's sister, Albert's daughter. 
Billy has a bit of an anger issue, one might say. But she's kind of self-aware about it. She tells herself she needs to stop getting mad and doing stupid stuff. But that doesn't really stop her fully. She also, uh, partway through the series, gets the T-virus and has to sort of deal with the ramifications of that. She's kind of patient zero, and the T-virus only exacerbates existing issues for her. Her slight hallucinations, her anger issues, her inability to deal with like loud noises. Um, she probably had some legit you know, anxiety issues and stuff beforehand, and the T-virus just amplifies that by a thousand. Yeah, she has... A lot of a lot of work to do on herself. Uh, we also do meet uh, Billy later on, but maybe we'll get to that later. But that is the Wesker family. Ian, what did you think overall of the of the family dynamics of the Weskers? Well, it's interesting that Billy and Jade are twins because they're in vitro fertilized twins. Mm-hmm. Um, they moved to New Raccoon City at the beginning of the series even though we don't know where they came from. And I'm wondering if it will be revealed that even they didn't know where they came from um, because of the whole cloning aspect of things, which we'll get to. Yeah, let's get into it because you can't uh, talk about the Resident Evil TV show without talking about all the clones that are running around. In my notes, when the first clones were revealed, I literally just wrote CLONES in all caps with an exclamation point. Early on in the show, I wrote down a note that said, I'm glad they're not clones. But but it turned out they were clones. (laughs) Well, I don't know. The two of them might not actually be clones, but Albert certainly is. Yeah, Albert is a clone of the sort of original Albert Wesker, who is the big bad from, I believe it's Resident Evil 4 and 5. Wow. And I thought he was just uh, Wesley Snipes in Blade. He does, uh, original Albert Wesker does wear dark sunglasses and a big old leather jacket. He's even got the hair. He does. But that Albert has cloned himself a few times so that basically all of his nerd clones can work on their little science tubes and he could go out and kill a bunch of people, presumably. That's basically the context that we get. And big bad Albert gets killed in 2009. The Umbrella Corporation enlists clone Albert to work on this joy and that's who he gets. He gets a family because he's complicit and compliant with the Umbrella Corporation. And But in order to sustain himself, he essentially creates Jade and Billy and uses their blood to counteract this rapid aging system, like serum that he's got rolling through his, uh, his uh, body because original Albert wanted to make sure that he was only dealing with adult clones and didn't want to have to deal with the adolescent uh, clones They basically started at the age of 20, and somehow this Albert genetically modified the two girls so that their blood would counteract this? Yeah, sure. 
What does the logic course I'm say? I'm a Ian? doctor. <laughs> You're at least in medical school. You gotta you gotta be consistent with your nonsense claims. That's right. <laughs> and University of American Samoa, but <laughs> just like uh, Saul Goodman. Yeah. Great. The 2022 timeline follows, you know, Billy getting infected and the family trying to figure out how to sort of stabilize her, which in turn kind of leads to what will eventually be the outbreak of this T virus. And then the 2036 timeline is essentially older Jade as she is researching the zeros and basically leaves a wake of destruction throughout the future as she is working to get back to her sort of home where her husband and daughter are. That's called the university. But uh, Jade leaves a lot of uh, dead bodies behind as she's trying to get back to her family. To be fair, half of those dead bodies are killed by zeros, and the yeah. other half are killed by the Umbrella Corporation, who seem to, anytime they enter an area, just murder everybody that's there re- with pretty much no reason for it. Yeah, there is a reckless abandon to their sky attacks. They always come in with helicopters. It's always at night, too. It just shines a bright light on everyone, and they just mow everyone down. Yeah, their drones with Gatlin guns on them don't help. And I think we can tell everybody a little bit more about 2036 right after this commercial break. And now a word from our sponsors. Hi, this is Ian, and I'm trying to do this commercial as quickly as possible. Please review and rate us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Hive Social at One and Done TV. Email us oneanddonepod at gmail.com with any suggestions or thoughts. If you haven't hit the skip forward 15 seconds button yet, I will be amazed. Okay, enjoy the show. Let's keep talking about all the blood in 2036. So Jade starts off in London and is eventually making her way to this uh, ship that is this basically artist enclave that they call the university that's hiding from the Umbrella Corporation. In the process, Jade gets kidnapped by bounty hunters who they get slaughtered by the Umbrella Corporation. They're trying to like reclaim a bounty that's put on anyone from the original raccoon city right that's how that works that's why the bounty hunters are like we're gonna give you the flesh to the umbrella corporation (laughs) right and meanwhile the bounty hunter like wants to trade i'm gonna go to i'm gonna trade you in so i can go to the promised land basically Mm -hmm. and then walks in this big bad from umbrella who is this heavyset, red-bearded Scottish dude that will murder anybody at will, but will not say hell. He only says heck. Oh, yeah. Did you notice that? I didn't, no. He's like, what the heck? Did we ever get that guy's name? (laughs) I don't know if we ever did. He just was the least intimidating uh, person surrounded by lots of guns that I think I've ever seen on TV. Well, they made him like kind of goofy, but that was what was supposed to make him intimidating is that he's like, oh, I'm just joking around. And then 
blam, 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 murder everybody I can see. Yeah. He is the enforcer who he does. He does have some sort of action guy skills, but you would not expect that. But we could get to that in a second. Jade also has a run in with a cat lady who is keeping her zero husband in the bathroom because it's still my husband in there. I don't know why that apartment reminded me of that episode in Rick and Morty where a bunch of cats are inside of a woman, a dead woman's skin, and oh, they yeah. operate the corpse as all these cats operate her corpse and like fall in love with somebody and marry them. And meanwhile, the corpse is like rotting. Oh, that's part of uh, interdimensional cable. Yeah. Right. And that uh, that's what that reminded me of. She did have those vibes, like, if I die, and if my husband continues to die, because he's already dead, because he's a zombie, he, uh, they would definitely take over her life. She does give yeah. off those vibes. Well, and there was kind of a running theme throughout the show of, like, somebody's loved one gets infected, and they just can't let them go. Yeah. They're, you know, she keeps her husband in the bathroom, you know, meanwhile, there's a sick child later that both of the parents die to protect, even though he's essentially dead. Mm-hmm. That was one of the more sort of affecting stories that I, I wish would have uh, would have come up a little bit more. And I wish they could have dove into like the why we're investigating the T-virus as opposed to why we're not just like mowing down all these people. Mm hmm. I think they could have they could have elaborated on that and maybe they would have in the future but what we have now is jade going through the channel in between you know london and paris to get across and that leads to a whole you know shootout with these brain zombies and uh, these big spiders and my goodness okay there's one highlight that i do want to point out in this section which is which was almost a Dunzo award, but I, I think I'm just going to say it now. Ian, why did the dad in the channels sacrifice himself to that mutant spider? You know what I'm talking about? They sh- they could have just kept running. They could have just kept running. I it's don't the know classic why. Thing of like I'm going to buy you time by going back to beat this spider with a giant metal pipe, and they that spider splits him in half. Literally. In the least ceremonious way I've ever seen anyone split in half. And he doesn't even like run to distract the spider, like get him out of the way. He just kind of runs in front of his family towards the spider. And then the spider immediately kills him. And there's his family directly behind the spider. He bought them no time. It was the least effective sacrifice I think I've ever seen on film. Yeah, there was no need for that. Um, and then the how she kills the spider too it was one of two very conveniently placed levers that immediately shut doors. Gotta love those quick, those quick acting levers that are always uh, appearing in the deserted tunnels underneath the English Channel, and in weird cages of zombie cults. Yes, what uh, I was going to talk about the zombie cult. What did you think of the zombie cults? And thank you for saying zombie cult. Uh, well, the Zero Cult was 
interesting. They were led by some dude with blue Elton John glasses <laughs> that was like, no, we're here to usher in the future. The future is us using them so that we can harness their power. Uh, the old world is, it's good that they all died. We are the chosen 300 million people left over as opposed to the six billion zeros out there. Yeah. They they worshipped uh, the zeros. And well, they also harnessed the zeros. They did. They had, that's where we found uh, the queen zero who was able to communicate with the others. But Jade eventually escapes that and gets back to the university, which, Ian, did you ever watch uh, Station Eleven? Oh, you know what? I'm thinking of the Hugh Laurie show on HBO, Avenue 5. Is that it? I think so, yeah. Well, I don't know what Station Eleven is. Yeah, Station Eleven is a limited series, another HBO show that is about sort of the world after this big pandemic. And uh, it follows this sort of artist enclave as they sort of try to, it's all about how do we keep art alive when, you know, there's no hope in the world. And that's kind of what the university reminded me of. They, you know, put on, they still teach music. They teach history. They are trying to keep culture alive. But the Umbrella Corporation doesn't like that because they're focused on the past. And the Umbrella Corporation is all about control of the future. It made me think about the preservation of art a little bit with because uh, just recently those climate act- activists threw the soup on the Van Gogh painting you know mm. and I was just thinking you know a lot of people were outraged by it but it was a painting of flowers and stuff and I was like you know I think Van Gogh would probably be fine with it if he knew it was going on yeah he's like know? yeah art's art man painting's right. a painting a painting's a painting. Every, I, I mean, I get it. They want to preserve culture. Like, we should do that. But at the same time, um, being too precious about any of it sometimes can get you killed. Yeah, it can. It can In the get, show. In the show. Of course. Yeah. Lots of, lots of death. Lots of sacrifices. And Kamikaze Jane just bringing a zombie onto the boat, you know? Like, it's no big deal. Her child running through the boat, screaming. Everyone being like, oh, what's going on? (sighs) Of course it eats the pregnant woman. It has to. It has to because the show is a never-ending just, like, cycle of misery that is inflicting on its characters. At the beginning of the episode, she's telling her about how she's pregnant. And they go on to find what could be a scientific breakthrough of like we might be able to solve this situation together in the course of a day of course and then of course her friend is eaten by the zombie that she brought in that day without it was like look everyone would have been fine with her bringing a zombie in if she just would have probably gone through protocol people this is why we have protocols okay (laughs) safety protocols you know, it's like if everybody knew there was a zombie in place, they would all and that this scientific discovery could change the world. And guess what? As a team, as scientists, we capture a zombie. We put him in a secure location or her because uh, <laughs> I think it was a female zombie. It was anyway, a female zombie. Yeah. Um, 
We put it in a secure location together. And guess what? As all the scientists that we are, we study it together because that's how important this is. But no, you have to go capture a zombie by yourself and get it in the lab and put it under restraints that aren't great. And what the hell, Jade? You could have given it one day's worth of work and all of this would have gone away. Uh, I have plenty of thoughts about how Jade approaches things, but... And you know what? In a good relationship, in a good working relationship, you need to communicate. Absolutely. What? Huh? Huh? Who? Yeah, let's just go to a commercial break and we'll come back with some Dunzo Awards. And now a word from our sponsors. It's time for the Dunzo Awards. These are the superlatives that we give out to all of our shows. It could be the best, it could be the worst, it could be the most, it could be the weirdest, whatever it may be. We have decided to give these shows their just desserts. Ian and I each get two Dunzo Awards to give out at our leisure. Ian Hamilton, what is your first Dunzo Award for Resident Evil? My first Dunzo Award is the Breadstick Award, which goes to Lance (laughs) Reddick for playing Albert's clone, Bert, who is a soft-spoken, very against type as far as his acting is concerned, which I really appreciated. Um, Somewhat of a murdering psychopath, but considering the the fact that he's uh, been in prison for 17 years and is created by a murdering psychopath, um, you know, it's understandable. Mm -hmm. And uh, the one day that he's back out in the world, he goes to Olive Garden and gosh, does he want those breadsticks? He deserve he thinks that his whole table deserves their each own unlimited breadsticks he's got unlimited breadsticks he wants jade and billy to also have unlimited breadsticks and so and he throws a little bit of a tiff i do think we should clarify though that uh bert the clone that ian is referring to is different from albert who is the kid's parents he is a different clone of the original albert wesker Right. So there's the original Albert Wesker, who's like Wesley Snipes. He had three clones, uh, Albert, Bert, and Albie. Um, When he's found out by the Umbrella Corp, he flees, first killing Albie, thus leaving two clones behind, Albert, who's the girl's dad, and Bert, who is the soft-spoken, breadstick-loving clone. And I just really love the way that uh, Lance Reddick played him. So uh, jovial, just so like, because this, uh, this so bird different. has, yeah, this bird has been underground for like 15 years or something like that. Just kind of essentially an unknowing prisoner of the Umbrella Corporation. And he gets the chance to, he basically tries to replace Albert as Albert has been kidnapped. And Bert is just, he's just happy to be there. And, you know, he calls the evil CEO mom the one that's been imprisoning him, he he's like a kid. And it's it was a nice breath of fresh air, for sure. Yeah, he you could tell the difference between Albert and Bert based on the kind eyes that Bert had. Oh, the yeah. sort of 
he had some wonder in there, you know. Yeah. He's just happy to be along for the ride. And, you know, kill some goons in the meantime. I mean, there was uh he like knocks out two of the umbrella security guards uh outside of the Olive Garden in a really easy way and the way that they approached him ready to fight him was like they knew that they were henchmen you know yeah it was almost like uh austin powers disposing of people with a judo chop it was kind of like that well to be fair he did bash one of their heads against a wall repeatedly fine judo bash if we want to get all (laughs) technical about it do we need to do the zombies and zero things with uh with fighting moves now the uh, their manager, I guess you could call him, the the lead henchman who does have lines. All he does when those guys are getting their heads bashed in is like roll his eyes and go, "Okay, Bert's gonna put up a fight." Is that yeah? That lead henchman guy is always just like these these mofos. Come on, like what do you? Yeah, doing? I mean that was uh, that that fight was a little bit unhinged uh, in that way. But John, what is your first Dunzo? My first Dunzo goes to the best but most confusing hacker. And okay. that is going to go to Simon, Evelyn, the CEO's son who lives in New Raccoon City. So one of the things that we haven't really touched on is part of especially like the first half of the 2022 timeline is basically like a high school drama as Billy and Jade are getting used to their new high school in New Raccoon City. And Jade befriends this kid, Simon, who is the son of the mustache twirling CEO, Evelyn. And Simon somehow can hack into literally anything and is basically the deus ex machina of any situation that involves any sort of technology. Well, he's he's lived on Umbrella property basically his entire life, so he's found all the workarounds. Okay, if you don't have any concept of outside of this bubble, yeah, I guess you would challenge things, but this kid is a freaking mastermind. He not only could get outside of the a firewall that is put around the internet and so that he could see outside information coming into New Raccoon City. He can hack into every single smart appliance that is available in a home, apparently any home as well. He can crack locks like digital locks as well. He it's it's just wild the breadth and depth of his hacking knowledge and also why he is doing all of this hacking for this girl that I I didn't really get their connection either like what really sparked that it was just like Jade kind of went up to Simon's like hey do this for me and he's like okay and he, he just did everything John he That's- was attracted to her um Go get a, go get a tood. I think you just made up a word, and I'm all for it. Uh, well, I'm I am in med school. Let's. Get- <laughs> Ian, what's your second Dunzo award? My second Dunzo award goes to best kill, and that of course is when 
Jade in 2036, harnessing a chainsaw, which felt very uh, Doom the movie to me, by the way, mm-hmm. when she had that chainsaw. And, Did you, you know, see Doom the movie? Yeah, Dwayne the Rock Johnson. First I of all, Doom was just one of my favorite video games. It was one of the earliest movies in his career. And the big hype around that movie was that there was a first person sequence in it like you're in the game, which yeah. was the best part of the movie. It was very fun. But uh, in this, she's got the chainsaw. She's killing zombies with it. But at one point, she goes back for the queen zombie. Zero. Damn it. Uh <laughs> The queen zombie who who can like communicate and control the other zeros. That's why she is the queen. Right. Thanks to some sort of pheromone gland that she has developed. And uh, in order to cut off the queen's head so she can research it, Jade gets behind her somehow and chainsaws her spine right down the middle. Not halfway through, mind you just right down the spine with blood spurting all over her. And what I really appreciated was she gets covered in blood and she's still covered in that blood for the rest of that episode and maybe even an episode and a half beyond that. <laughs> Absolutely. She is uh, coated in, uh, in queen blood for an extended period of time because also as Jade does... Anytime she leaves a location, she gets captured by the Umbrella Corporation and gets stuck in that blood. That whole scene where they were escaping the religious cult, uh, that also featured a great sort of pseudo one-shot action scene with uh, the British uh, 'er ne'er-do-well Umbrella Corporation guy who we had mentioned before, who over the course of like three minutes basically turns into John Wick. And is like yeah. double headshotting zombies, like with like pistols going in two different directions. I swear he even like takes her arm and like flips her over his body somehow yeah. in like a double kill sort of thing. Yeah. All we know about this Umbrella Corporation bad guy is he loves a, to crack wise and he also has two dogs. And then in one scene, he just murders and not in the metaphorical way. After it's all that a, John Wick stuff, though, he can't get up the ladder. No, he gets uh, he gets pulled down and uh, eaten up real good. I was surprised just, they killed him off halfway. Yeah. Through. Well, he was around Jade for too long and she she herself is the virus, right? Yeah. Um, wait, getting back to my point real quick before we move on is yeah. that what I love about good action movies to me have continuity of injury. And I really think that they kept that up with Jade over her first four or five episodes when she's just running through zero world, uh, mm-hmm. killing everything, getting covered in blood, getting, uh, I think I counted three concussions, three really bad concussions, <laughs> Uh, that get glossed over. And uh, it's something I recognize in the Die Hard series, too. It's like each movie, John McClane, as he's like getting beat up, getting shot, stepping on glass, you know, driving cars through helicopters or whatever it is, he does get more and more beat up throughout the movie. I mean, granted, he could still run fast or whatever, despite it, but... 
He he always he looks like absolute hell at the end of it. And I just that's that's important to me. I don't like it when there's a big action sequence and then everyone just looks all pretty the next scene. Mm-hmm. Jade is also, according to her dad, genetically engineered to be stronger than anyone else. So at least there's some attempt yes. at justifying her the level of her badassitude. Right. I had a problem with the concussions until we found out about the genetic engineering. Then I was okay with them. You you just love a, a good modification of the genome. If we know anything about you over the course of these episodes. Genetic modification dystopia is a cool, <laughs> interesting, imaginative dystopia that we should be running into more often. We got all these, you know, everyone thinks that technology is the future, but what if it's biogenetic engineering, John? It could be. It I it probably should be too, I think. Well, oh right, you just want to like grow some nasty looking wings or something. The grosser the better. <laughs> What's your second dunzo? My second dunzo goes to the duaist lipa. And that, of course, is the seed of the final episode. I'll, I'll set this up uh, as best as I can. So we find out that older Billy is working for the Umbrella Corporation when we get into the 2036 timeline. Billy is not just like a mercenary in the Umbrella hierarchy. She is the essentially one of the biggest of the big bads and is a is an umbrella diehard. And Billy basically tricks Jade into taking Umbrella to the university. And Jade is going to confront Evelyn, who is still alive in 2036. But we find out that Billy's not just like a high up army person. She is through some sort of like mind control is controlling the actions of Evelyn. And we find this out when Jade walks into her sort of big confrontation meeting with Evelyn and Evelyn jumps up and goes into a full choreographed singing routine of Dua Lipa's Don't Stop Now. Which, you know, gave me some Ex Machina vibes, which I appreciated. It was very Ex Machina, except the the moves weren't as uh, weren't as dope. But it was it was a baffling scene to watch. But it was also, again, nice to see some like joy in the show because the show itself was so like bleak throughout mm. its run. So when they got this woman dancing in a weird way and like singing half of Don't Stop Now, I was like, sure. Thank you, show. Thanks for thanks for giving this one to me. Yeah, I mean, I thought that was a pretty good re- way to reveal, too, that Billy was the true head of Umbrella, mm-hmm. and Evelyn was just a, an alive puppet. I don't think it's mind control, though. I think it's probably some sort of genetic engineering, John. <laughs> <laughs> See, I don't, I don't know what to believe anymore, whether you're just doing bits or if this was the logic that the show is actually trying to give. No, I I think it was. Yeah, everything in the show, there was some big reveal that had to do with some mutation of this or 
a uh, a fudging of that. A giant my, uh, crocodile mind control of this. That that was another fun reveal, though, too, where they oh, kept yeah. referring in the 2036 timeline to make sure you push the button, push the button. And you assume that the button is some sort of bomb that is going to just blow anything up in a... But no, it's a probably 3,000-foot-long crocodile that is being towed behind the university, which is on a ship, and the button is awakening this crocodile. Hell yeah. Yeah. Well, and I guess speaking of, what did you think of the CGI in this show? Um, I thought it was pretty good. Uh, Mixed with the production design, I mean, it was certainly better than Paper Girls. Uh, Mm Mm-hmm. But I, I actually, I was fairly satisfied. The crocodile looked really good. Yeah, there was Whereas some stuff that looked really good. Yeah, there were other monsters that looked a little less good. But um, you know, like the queen was practical makeup for the most part. I think so. There was, uh, I really liked the production design in it, and the graphics for the most part held up pretty well. Even the giant spider, like it's clearly CGI, but like that was okay. It, it still looked pretty good. It did. The big issue I had, because I agree, the production design was great. Like it was a COVID shot show, but it didn't like look like it. Oh, they I didn't, didn't feel that. No, exactly. No, they do a good job of using kind of big group scenes uh, to, because I think that's really the best way to show this sort of magnitude of this outbreak, pop, pop, magnitude. And <laughs> the the one big issue I had was it was so dark, like lighting wise, everything was in such shadows all the time. I, I, uh, I have issues it didn't with that. Help that I could only watch this show in 720. Also, I could not oh. get it in 1080. Oof. So it was really bothering me. Yeah. It really makes you like turn down the lights in your house and try to, just to kind of make out what's happening sometimes, but which is a shame because like, again, a lot of the sets are beautiful. The, the design of new raccoon city, which is supposed to be this sort of like, it's like smart house, but if every house was a smart house, (laughs) but yeah. And then uh, even the, the cages that everything's held in, in um... great cage work, right? Great cage work. Excellent. (laughs) It was just yeah. the right amount of rusty. Yeah. The cage sculptors, you know, were were brought in from all across the world to get only the best cage sculptors. Straight lines, top to bottom, left to right. Really oh, yeah. gritty. Really gritty. Um, but that was very good. John, do you mind if I get to my burning question? Burn away, my friend. Do you think it was necessary for this show to have two different timelines? <laughs> that's hot no no we could have just had one or the other it would have been fine it it almost felt like the show was kind of hedging its bets a little bit uh to have this kind of scope and ambition which i did appreciate on some level just hey i've never seen i can't think of a show that and when we say too that the show is in two different timelines like each individual episode is probably half and half one versus the other. And they cut in between them pretty seamlessly too. there. I was never confused ever as to what timeline we were in. 
And sometimes they were pretty good at doing parallel stories in one timeline, then cutting to the other one and being like, oh, they, you know, they, they go hand in hand pretty well. Yeah. What they were trying to do with the two timelines was being able to like do some reveals that were going to pay off, you know, in 2036. Um, you know, one of probably one of the biggest reveals that sort of cross cutting is Jade at one point says, um, you know, my sister died when I was 14 to somebody. And this is after we learn that Billy has been infected with the T virus. So you assume that Billy is going to succumb to the T virus, but then she just means metaphorically dead because Billy comes back later on. So they try to do that and some other stuff too. You know, the closed captioning, I was watching it with closed captioning and she was called young Billy. And I was Mm. like, Dang it. Like that I now I know there's an old Billy. Exactly. Exactly. They they sort of undercut the tension I feel like sometimes with the two timelines. I think the show wanted to be scary on some level, but when the stakes are kind of ripped away because of the structure, it's really hard to maintain that tension over the course of the spanning those two timelines, right? Or at least like the tension in the first part. I just thought that it was an interesting idea, but I don't see the earlier timeline sustaining itself as long as the later timeline could have, mm-hmm. you know? Um, Absolutely. So that that was kind of my biggest problem with it, if I'm going to be totally honest. It was like, for season one, it works, but I think long term, if the show would have lasted, it could have become a very real problem that they're just trying to throw more drama into 2022. Um, it was more and of a, it, it would have worked better as a device than it would have as an entire storyline. You know, something to cut back to, something, or even like a standalone episode or two a season. Like there's one episode. Right. Episode seven of Ordinary Joe, our favorite. Of course. See our Ordinary Joe episode because we hated <laughs> that one. There is one stand almost standalone episode in Resident Evil where almost the entire one takes place in the 2022 timeline and it's all about the girls essentially breaking into their new house in order to find their dad's secret lab where they realize that you know their dad has been experimenting on things that he didn't say that he was experimenting on and it was kind of paced like a heist e episode but it was so slow and it really just kind of it didn't add enough to the relationships to justify its existence and that's how i felt overall generally about the earlier timeline Mm. although uh i thought they did a really good job of casting the two girls for 2022 compared to the two women for 2020, 2036. Yeah. They did look like older and younger versions of each other. Right. And it, it didn't feel like they were playing two different characters to me. Like it did feel like natural progressions of those characters, but I'll be in extreme circumstances, but, uh, you know what I mean? Like there didn't it didn't feel disconnected. I I felt like the younger ones were the younger of the older ones. Mhm. Absolutely. Speaking of the 
girls, Ian, I have one burning question for you. What did you think of Jade as the protagonist? Ooh, that's hot. Well, uh, she certainly means well, and she's definitely flawed. I would say that she herself never kills anyone, but I will say that anyone that tries to help her dies, and that I wouldn't say that she acts irrationally, because I think that she makes very rash, quick decisions because of real relevant fear. But when her husband calls her Kamikaze Jade, it puts the previous several episodes into context and lets you know that she is going to get people killed going forward. And that does also ultimately reach the end of the show, the where Billy, older Billy, even though she's leading the evil umbrella, accuses Jade of being a bad person who's also doing bad things, which I, I think made the show more interesting. Um, I think she's a fine protagonist. I mean, I think she's living in a world where everybody dies all the time. Um, I wouldn't put all the death on her, even though she does seem to cause a lot of it. (laughs) In trying to save lives, she gets a lot of people killed. The reason I asked you this is because I found Jade to be insufferable, like from the the jump. As a teenager, it's, you know, okay, there's the old screenwriting adage of you got to save the cat. You got to give us some reason why we care about this person at the beginning in order to let us follow their journey. And Jay just keeps drowning cats, like, throughout the show. And you can do that on some level with TV because it is a longer story. You can pace it out a little bit better. I just didn't find her there to be much compelling about her except for, like, the people that surrounded her. Like, it seemed like her biggest empathy generator was her daughter in 2036, and her daughter was fine, but she even puts her daughter in danger by experimenting on this freaking zero right around her. And of course her daughter is going to scream and set off this zero when she sees uh, this experiment uh, work or whatever. But yikes, Jade just is mean to everyone and bosses everyone around. And I get that she has dealt with a lot in her life, but even before like the tragedy starts, she just is the it she's just portrayed as this sort of sniveling, whining teenager who doesn't understand anything and nobody understands her. And which leads to a mountain of destruction that I felt like was completely unjustified throughout the show. It was it was frustrating. It was frustrating. Uh- I wanted to like Jade. I wanted to. I just I, never did. No, I did. I did not feel that uh, strongly uh, as you did. I thought she was a desperate person in a desperate situation. She happened to be very smart and have super strength, and have her um, 
history with Umbrella and the virus that she had. And she, her scientific discoveries were very important. And that's what she was out for, curing the disease and preserving history. Meanwhile, stopping Umbrella from murdering everybody like they did in the get-go. So I thought it was fine. I, I get it. I get why she did the things she did. But she never, uh, she kept saying, like, we can't wait on this. It's like, you can. Hey, Jade, you could you could take a beat. And also, yes. it just seemed I, like, especially, again, teenage Jade, I think, is supposed to be somebody, or you would think would be somebody that would sort of lay the groundwork in order to let us empathize with this character, even as she puts, even as older Jade puts all of these people in jeopardy for this uh, cause, the greater good. Well, I was hoping I, for you to say the greater good, but the uh, greater you know, good. thank you, Ringo. The greater good, Paul. <laughs> the We're just plunking around in the greater good, <laughs> Jesus. And you'd think that there is that, but then you'd have moments like, so she's flirting with this kid, Simon, and her sister, Billy, when she gets infected with the T-virus, they basically say anyone with the T-virus within 36 hours, they're going to turn. And Billy says, you know what? I want to go out. I want to have a party. I want to party with my sister and with this, like with other kids my age for my last little hurrah. And so they go to this party, which is weirdly at a construction site. Sure. And they've got a skate ramp ramp there. Fine. That's what teenagers do. They skate. We all know this. And what does Jade do immediately when she gets to the the construction site rager? She ditches her sister to hang out with the boy that she maybe likes. Hey, hey. Why? Her sister who's dying and is supposed to die in two or three hours. In like two to three hours. Why? Why did you need to keep... And, you know, Billy doesn't die. Sure, that's fine. But even Billy's like, it was kind of crappy of you to ditch me. And Jade was like, well, I like him or whatever she said. I didn't care because I didn't understand why she did it in the first place or why she likes Simon. Oh, my Um, gosh. No, I, I saw why she and Simon were together. I felt like that was natural to me. That didn't happen too quickly for me. And, uh... I felt like she made normal, crappy teenage decisions given the circumstances. See, I thought she was a crappy, crappy teenager and a crappy, crappy adult, too. Well, we can talk more about that crappy, crappy teenager and why she was canceled after this commercial break. And now a word from our sponsors. Resident Evil premiered on Netflix in July of 2022. It was canceled in August of 2022, only a month and a half after the show premiered. Very Paper Girls. Very Paper Girls, except more expensive. You know, oh, Netflix, clearly from the production design and, and the Netflix, CGI. Like, Netflix invested. They, you know, they got all. They have all the rights to the uh, movies on Netflix as well. They probably, they might have even bought out the production company. I don't know, but 
the series itself, I would say landed with a bit of a thud, but it kind of didn't. And that's a, that's something interesting. So it had a 55% on Rotten Tomatoes. Not bad, not good, but not bad. But it had a 27% audience score, which is real bad. It, when it debuted on Netflix, it debuted at number two with 72.7 million hours viewed, which I did the math. And if, if like one person watched the entire length of the show, the show is about 7.1 hours long over the course of the eight episodes, which would equate to about 10.2 million viewers in its first week. So not bad. No, not the, bad at all. The show, though, fell to number three in its second week with 73.3 million uh, hours viewed. And then by week three, it was out of Netflix's top 10. So I think what it was was a lot of people giving it a go based on its IP. And this is something we've encountered before when we've talked about streaming shows. If you can't sustain a viewer, that's way worse than not getting a lot of viewers in total at the outset. Like if you can get a dedicated group of a smaller dedicated group of people early on, that seems much more likely to be viable over the long run than you get a lot of people trying something and then immediately falling off of it. That seems to be very indicative of what companies, what streamers are willing to invest in for the long haul. Yeah. um, I mean, and you can see why that would weigh their decision of whether to have a season two or not. It's like, do the people that like it, are they going to keep watching it? Oh, no, they stopped after a couple episodes. Then why would they come back for season? If the people that want to watch it don't keep watching it, then how can we justify a season two? Yeah. And it was interesting to see the discourse around the show kind of turn after it didn't do well. Like, for example, I was looking on IGN which is a, a gaming news website. And they gave the show a seven out of 10 and basically said, you know, I think this is going to appeal to people that want to see the resident evil universe extended. But then I, when I watched a news video of theirs on YouTube, they were talking about it as if they hated it all along. They were like, obviously nobody liked this. It wasn't close at all to the source material. They didn't stick to anything it felt vapid and this and that and the other thing. So it seemed like once the momentum stopped after its premiere, not just Netflix gave up on it, but like everyone who even started to support it a little gave up on it, which I think is very sort of indicative of the discourse that happens around like gaming culture too. Like if this isn't something that is widely adopted by the culture it's not going to be able to be sustained because liking it will get you ostracized and get you made fun of because gamers in particular are very quick to well they have the they have the anonymity of the internet to hide behind so yeah they and can they know be how as harsh as it. they want yeah 
they know how to harness it. They know what is what they could say, which is basically anything because they they hide behind tags and they could be as vitriolic as they want. Mm-hmm. And oh, and they are. Yeah, and they are. And hell, they could even swat you, and they do. <laughs> Often, please don't swat us. Please, we don't want we don't want gamers after us. Gamers are like a just a very passionate fan base, and I think that if this was, you know, adopted by fans of the game, it could have been something that would have been able to sustain itself, and it just didn't. It's interesting, too, to see how different gaming IP has been. This is a conversation I want to have with you. How different gaming IP has been sort of adopted over the last, like, couple decades. Because Not there very are well. Very few and far between, you know, video game adaptations that have had any sort of success. I mean, let's just look at Chris Pratt being Mario right now. I, I- <laughs> The rest of Super Mario looks pretty sweet. And then Mario talks and uh, I'm out, if I'm going to be totally honest. Like, it's got to get really good reviews for me to see that movie. Not to mention the first Super Mario Brothers movie. Mm -hmm. Not to mention both of the Hitman movies. Uh, Timothy Oliphant couldn't save it. Uh, The guy from Homeland couldn't save it. Um, I can't remember his name. And then I guess Resident Evil is successful. Um, I think Silent Hill actually did have some of its success. Maybe maybe the horror games have had the best crossover, but I can't think of one that is like universally loved or took off. Can you think of anything? Okay, Uncharted. I'm not going to see that. Mortal Kombat. The first one was fun. Uh, Detective Pikachu. Natalie loved it. I really, I really found very little to like about it. We don't have to keep listing things off, but I will also say Jake Gyllenhaal was Prince of Persia. That's a yikes. There yeah. is a lot of, and I think that's what's kind of marred the the video game uh, sort of adaptation thing is it. You can get something that shines through. I actually really like Sonic the Hedgehog, for example. Wow, really? I Are do. You just that big of a Ben Schwartz fan. Love me some Benny Schwartzy. I also just think it's a genuinely fun movie. Like, there's no pretense about it. It's just big and dumb and funny and cool. Also, like, okay, you look at Wreck-It Ralph, and I'll even throw in there Ready Player One. They have a lot of things in one movie. And it appeals to video game culture, not adapting a particularly... Uh, popular bit of source material. Right. And that is, I think, something, because people want the same story and they want it done well. And that's like a weird, it's a very difficult thing to pull off. And from what I'm told, Halo on Paramount Plus did not do that. I heard it was terrible. Uh, From every person that I know that loves Halo said they just hated it. But they also said they watched it. And that could be said of that. The what a waste resin- of Bo Keem Woodbine. Love him. Of course. Yeah. And they get all this like great talent together. And I think that Resident Evil was trying something at least different, you know, using, again, like I said from the beginning, they said that everything in the show 
is canon to, or is true to the canon of the video game franchise where, you know, I don't play the resident evil games, but my understanding is like the resident evil games take place before the sort of big outbreak of new raccoon city where there's little outbreaks throughout the world. And then you send the main characters there to take them on. And that is how they can still justify the existence of the games that happened before them. And this world where presumably nothing is wrong because we can assume that umbrella has gone to all these locations and shut them down or nuked them, which is apparently something that that the umbrella corporation did for the first raccoon city or Albert or Albert. Yeah. Albert uh, died in a volcano in uh, oh, right. Resident Evil 5, I think. And that was the thing that happened in the games. Yeah, Bert did say that in the show, that Albert died in a volcano. So I like that they tried to say, okay, this thing that you love, it still exists. We're doing another thing. But it Like didn't... Watchmen on HBO, you know? Exactly. It was a success there. And so I think what we're going to be seeing more of is something like the forthcoming last of us series where from my understanding, the last of us on HBO is going to basically take the first season of it is going to be the plot of the first game. And that's that. And so they're just going to cinematize the, the video game, which is already a pretty cinematic video game. And you know what? I'm all on board because those games are absolutely awesome and the story of them are fantastic. So I don't need like a big expansion of it. I just want to see some good actors doing faithful work to what's already something great. Hey, and you know what? Paper Girls and Lovecraft Country were that way too. Where They're like, we'll take the first season and show you pretty much what the source material is and then we're going to expand on it. Yeah, and I think there's... That's a good way to do things. And I think Resident Evil, um, they were just trying, they were trying something new to sort of break the mold of the video game adaptation, but in turn didn't create something that was compelling enough to even get the attention of the people that they were, that they felt were already baked into their fan base, if that makes sense. Speaking of compelling enough, John, I've got a question for you. Would you renew? No. There it is. No No pause. Hated the show. I really hated the show. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I don't say that lightly. It really bummed me out. It was a slog. I'll remind you it was your choice that we watched this show. It's Halloween. Spooky candy corn zeros not zombies not gonna say that the way that they handled everything it was just it was so not fun and i wanted it to be fun like give me more dua lipa give me you know big guy in a beard uh pointing guns north and south and seeing what happens the uh billy eilish at the end of the show wasn't enough for you the Billie Eilish at the beginning of the show wasn't enough for me. Like they, they threw in multiple Billies and it didn't, uh, it didn't get me and it could have been cool, man, but they just were so sad all the time. Like do something fun with it. Uh, I, you know, 
And I really think the big issue was Jade. I, I could not stand her as a character. It was really hard to get on her side. And I didn't, I just felt bad for everyone that had to be in a room with her. She I was stressed Lance, out. Uh, I love Lance Reddick. I, I thought he was, I thought he did a really, really honestly like great job. Even the woman that played uh, Evelyn, like she was like fun evil. I love I that. thought she was fantastic. I thought yeah. she was a great villain. And even uh, that last scene in the last episode when she's like in the hallway and all the all the alarms are going off and she's got a gun and she I can't remember what she yelled down the hallway, but and then they did like a close up on her and uh, like a pan in close up. And I was like, dang, that was uh, that was a, that was a good bad guy moment for me. Absolutely. And then like five minutes later, she shoots her, her son in the face. And you're like, yep, this is the tone of the show. It's just like, it's just dreary after dreary after dreary. And it's, I just wanted it to be more fun. Well, in her defense, she thought she was saving her son. Yeah, yeah, she shot him in the head. (laughs) So Ian, how about you? Would you renew? I would renew. I really liked it. Are you freaking kidding me? I really enjoyed the show. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Uh, I thought there were a lot of good twists and turns, a lot of good reveals. Um, I thought that the older, I really liked the older Billy. I really thought Evelyn was great. Um, I thought like they spent a little bit too much time on the teenage story, uh, mind you. But I was along for the ride the whole time. I mean, the first episode ends with her with Jade jumping three stories off of a tower into a crowd of zombies, an endless crowd of zeros. And uh, I, she chainsaws somebody as a zero in the back. Uh, you got that scene with the uh, heavy bearded guy, you know, going John Wick on everybody. You got uh, Lance Reddick playing... Wesley Snipes and uh, simple old Bert who's cutting guards throats with razors. Um, The crocodile reveal at the end was awesome. I loved the red button. Um, I thought there were just a lot of good twists and turns and I cared enough about the characters to totally be along for the ride. There was plenty of guts and gore. Um, but in a very pulpy way, not in a gross me out sort of way, uh, which I enjoyed. Uh, I really liked it. I really liked it. Um, is it the best show we've reviewed? No, but I had a lot of fun and I would recommend it. I would renew. I genuinely forgot to breathe at one point while you were saying that because I was I was so aghast. I was I, really looking forward to the, saying that when I saw how much you didn't like it. And I, I suspected this could be the case, but mm-hmm. I'm surprised at how much you didn't like it. I really didn't. I really just found it to be so boring and is so just genuinely like miserable. Of I a- almost texted you about how much I liked it and I refrained and I'm really glad I did. <sighs> Well, but I'm glad I'm glad you had fun because, yeah, I just oh, I couldn't buy any of it. And I just felt so sad watching it. So, mm. 
if you got some joy out of it, hey, God bless, man. I'm I'm glad. I don't I, think it's something you have to buy too much. It's already very outlandish in its premise and its science. Uh, so I was just cool well, to let it wash over me in that way. But my, okay, sorry. I don't say buy in terms of like it needs to all add up and be logical. I just didn't care. I didn't care as I was watching it. I didn't care about the characters. I, again, I think the the dual timelines thing really sucked the vast majority of the tension that could have been with a device like that. And so it just felt like these two stories were happening and I was just going to be stuck with these people that I just could not care less about. Um, I think this is one of the worst ones we've done. I really, I'd put it in the bottom five at least like, wow. I mean, I think this is, this is like a good point of where we diverge because like you'd renew the time traveler's wife and I would renew this, you know? Yeah. And I think that is indicative of our personalities. Yeah. I'm just a, a, a sappy little romance boy. And you have no taste. So I'm glad we. <laughs> right. No. I, I like to look at all facets of the production, you know, between the acting, the CGI, the the casting. I didn't think the acting was good for the most part. I liked Lance Reddick. I Wait, I'm setting CEO. up a joke. Oh, sorry. And you're an idiot. Oh, good. Okay. Glad we got there. There you go. Uh, do you have any lingering thoughts to brainwash these poor people into giving stupid ass resident evil a try i think the thing that bothered me the most was when the two girls break into umbrellas um compound at first in order to save the animals from being that's another thing Ugh. okay they, they want to save the animals from being experimented upon. And then they release this diseased dog, which gets Billy bitten, which is the whole thing. Right. Yeah. But uh, which, you know, launches the premise for the entire show. But they're running around the office at night with the alarms going off for a solid 10 minutes. Nobody's around. There's no Nobody. security. Nobody's it's- around. And Billy's just Billy and Jade are just both opening things with reckless abandon including the dog that oh my gosh meanwhile in the rest of the show it feels like umbrella henchmen come out of nowhere and there's always a lot of them so for that one scene for there to just be nobody there while the alarms are going off was uh pretty strange yeah i would love to know how many times in the 2036 timeline that Jade emerged from some sewer or hole in the ground and then immediately got descended upon by Umbrella. I think it happened at least three times. Yeah, I was going to say three or four. Uh-huh. Uh, well, Ian, where can people find us? You can tweet at us or follow us on Instagram or Twitter at One and Done TV on both. You can email us oneanddonepod at gmail.com. Please uh, give us recommendations. Tell us your thoughts. Tell us why I'm right and John's wrong about Resident Evil uh, or Time Traveler's Wife or Paper Girls or Ordinary Joe or The Weird Al Show or whatever you want to argue with us about. 
We are here for the critics of the critics, as it were. <laughs> um, you can Venmo me at Hamilton, and you can buy yourself a lodge pan scraper to make your dish, doing the dishes experience uh, much better. Oh, you can see me in a movie on Amazon called Sleepaway Slasher. I don't recommend it. <laughs> it's quite bad. But if you want to see Ian with some fun hair, you can fast forward to that. Anthony uh, from Queer Eye is the oh, first yeah. one build, and he has one line. So yeah. That just tells you what it is. See you next time. Ooh, we'll cancel you. Brought to you by Lack of Hustle Media.